Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. It's time for the man who taught Vince Carter how to slam. You can't make this tough up. <laughs> the man whose three inspired the Curry family. Pulls it I don't exaggerate, I congratulate. With another masterpiece. It's time for you know who my man Seiku. Goes airborne. It's Seiku Smith's Hang Time Podcast. Take it away. Merry Christmas and welcome into another edition of the Hang Time Podcast. I'm your host, Seiku Smith, here in Atlanta. Got a fantastic show lined up for you today. Bringing in the holiday with games. On TV, the, the annual Christmas Day slate, but also a little music and uh, presents for your ear here on the Hangtime Podcast. Tanya Ganguly of the Los Angeles Times and Kyle Goon of the Southern California News Group are both joining us to talk Lakers, Clippers, what's going on in L.A., the, the epicenter of the basketball universe for this season as far as everybody knows, we talked to both of them about what's going on in L.A. and with the Lakers. The team, the entire world is watching, of course, with the stars and, and all the drama that led into the season. We also reach out and get in touch with our favorite Midwestern basketball correspondent, none other than Steve Ashburner of NBA.com. He's got everything you need to know about the Milwaukee Bucks and what's going on there, as well as his uh, – Insights and reflections on the Christmas Day slate that you will be enjoying all day long with your gifts and everything else you're opening up. So dive in before the games get started right here on the Hangtime Podcast. Welcome Kyle Goon, who covers the L.A. Lakers for the Southern California News Group. Um, you got a working holiday on your hands, Kyle. Um, Lakers Clippers on Christmas Day at Staples Center. So you better uh, get your snacks in early. Bustle's presence open bright and early. Um, I'm curious what your what your take is on the Lakers this early in the season. I mean, they got off to a great start, one of the best starts in franchise history, obviously. But on a three-game losing streak now, um, what's your prognosis for them up to this point? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I was surprised by how good they were and targeted a couple games that I thought they might lose, especially on the road. I mean, they won 14 straight on the road, which is, um, only, only two teams in NBA history have been better than that. Um, so it was really surprising. I was kind of waiting for them to, to lose in a way, um, <laughs> but they just kind of kept going. Um, so I think this is just sort of the back end. I mean, the three-game losing streak, obviously one of the games they were without AD, one of the games they were without LeBron, it's just harder to win when you only have one star. And that's just kind of how this team is built, um, you know, Outside of those two, they don't have a ton of upside. They have a lot of great vets who understand their role. Um, you know, Danny Green will give you a couple threes a game. Uh, JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard, who have been outperforming some expectations. Um, Avery Bradley, KCP. But just not guys who take over games. Um, not guys who really bowl other teams over with 30 points or so it's it's really incumbent on those two stars that have big nights uh for the lakers to win and so far those guys have have just had a ton of big nights and and when there's only one of them it it just hampers this team a lot yeah i've I've had people argue me down on social media about who's more valuable to this lakers team between lebron and ad and i try and explain to them that it's not as simple as saying, well, this guy's more valuable because of A, B, or C, or, you know, because they look at the numbers and they see that AD's leading them in scoring. And so a lot of people associate your value strictly with, oh, you're leading the team in scoring. You must be the most valuable. But I talk about the fact that LeBron, in using the analogy, he, you know, he's like a quarterback, you know, in football. He's got the ball in his hands so much by virtue of how much he occupies the ball. 
he would be a more valuable player, even if AD's numbers are better. Do you think that's a faulty analogy on my part, or do you think that's that rings true? No, I think that rings very true. And, I mean, yesterday is kind of the perfect distillation of what LeBron means to this team because AD has 32 points, 10 rebounds, 4 blocks. When your star has that kind of performance, you think, all right, well, that's a game. But it wasn't. They lost by 24 points. Um, LeBron, LeBron's minutes are just heavily correlated with winning. And it's hard. It's a hard influence to describe, but just when LeBron is on the floor, his team outscores the other team by a lot. And when LeBron's off the floor, the Lakers are sort of about average, to be honest with you. Um, if, if you just look at the raw scoring numbers from his minutes on the floor, his minutes off the floor, it's like the difference between outscoring the opponent by 230-some points and – barely outscoring them at all. So it, it's just AD is sensational, right? I mean, he can do so many things. Last night we saw him do so many things. It's just his minutes aren't as correlated with a team winning as LeBron's are. LeBron elevates a team to, to be a winning team. And AD, as we saw for the first seven years of his career, just doesn't quite have that kind of game yet um, and, and just, it, it, he can have a great night in while his team is getting blown out. Right. Have you have you stopped to think to yourself what's different? You know, not just in personnel, but in tone and in vibe about this team from last year to this one. Obviously, they have a different star in place. Don't have all those young guys, Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, those guys. So physically, they're different. But I mean, just in terms of how they play, how they exist. As a, as a unit, I know whatever team LeBron is on, everything kind of orbits around him. But he seems different this year. I don't know if it's I don't know if energized is the right word or rejuvenated, but his whole aura just seems different this season. Knowing that he's going in with with maybe a better chance to win than he did last year. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think honestly, if you want to make a case for for Anthony Davis over MVP. I think the most convincing argument is that his presence has gotten LeBron more invested. And, and, you know, as good as LeBron is, as good as LeBron was um, last year, he just, there were just times where he just didn't seem bought in or he just seemed a little aloof or, or a little disinterested. And that's not to say he wasn't pulling his weight. I mean, like you look at his numbers, he was putting up numbers, but there was just not the blend um, that that is happening this year. I, I think he kind of gave some some people distance, including maybe the coaching staff and including maybe some of the young guys, and, and was sort of in the mode of, hey, if if you're if you're not going to help me win, you know what what do I have for you? Um, and it's not to say he was openly hostile. I just I just think it was distant. Um, I just think. The, the mentorship aspect that some people thought might happen wasn't really happening on that level. And there was just a lot of tension around the trade deadline because no one felt particularly close to LeBron. And LeBron had gone on the record saying he would love to play with AD. And, you know, <laughs> sure enough, a couple months later, that all happened. Um, so I think there there is just a level, different level of investment. It has a lot to do with the Lakers gave him what he wanted in, in a sense of here's a bunch of veterans, here's a bunch of shooters, um, here's guys who have won, who know how to win, and there is just sort of everyone seems kind of facing the same direction, uh, and everyone seems to kind of have a strong understanding of role. And and you know what? I mean, AD in the building has the, the power to challenge LeBron and say, Look, I don't like the way that you're playing lately on defense. Like you got to pick it up, and that's just a real difference that this organization didn't have last year. Yeah, they. I know so many people in LA, you know, are invested in the Lakers, um, good or bad, whatever. They they've always been, you know, all in on this Lakers bandwagon. Do you think the Lakers 
as presently constituted are, are legitimate, you know, con- contenders for a championship, not just to, to play deep into the playoffs, but to win it all as constructed right now? Do they need a piece or is there something maybe missing that puts them over the top? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's something always missing, um, of course. But, uh, I mean, sim- the answer I would say is yes, uh, very mm-hmm. simply put. Um, and I think it's just kind of evident that these guys have th- – those two stars together, LeBron and AD, just count for more than I think, um, you know, I certainly thought before the season. I, I kind of felt like they were flawed, but, but – but good and at this point of the season I would say their flaws are kind of papered over by having those two guys playing at their best um, and, and those guys can answer a lot of questions I think the one thing you're going to look at if you're the Lakers and and it's just tough it's, it's just tough to address this problem is they don't have a, a extremely competent wing defender and that's why everyone wants to see what's going on with Andre Iguodala. Uh, obviously, the Grizzlies want to have a trade for him and want an asset back for him, and the Lakers just don't have assets um, after trading them all away for AD. Um, so I just don't know what they can do to address that sort of some team uh, and just putting a vet uh, wing defender on the market. But they'd still have to trade pieces of their rotation to go get that guy. Um, so it, it's just, there's a lot of that. That's an uncomfortable question because you look around and, and some of the best teams in the league, uh, including, you know, Luka Doncic in Dallas and Kawhi in Toronto and Pascal Siakam in Toronto, or I mean, sorry, uh, Kawhi in a, with the Clippers. Um, mm-hmm. They have really good wings. So, so that's just going to be an area where the Lakers are vulnerable. Yeah, it it, it strikes me too. Um, and I've only seen them once in the flesh. You know, I saw them once when they played here in Atlanta. It was it was interesting trying to figure the dynamic of this group. You know, there has to be that outlier, that kind of X factor player you're going to have step up in the postseason. I was trying to look up and down the roster and say, which one of these guys? could get on that on that run, kind of like what Pascal Siakam did for Toronto in the finals um, or Fred Van Vliet did for the Raptors. You know, like who on that roster is, I don't know if it's Avery Bradley or, you know, because you got to be able to do a little bit of everything to impact a playoff series like that. You can't just be a one-dimensional player. Um, there's no way a guy who's just a shooter is going to get hot for for four to seven games. It it just doesn't happen. You got to be able to impact them in different ways. And I was thinking, who's that guy? Is it Danny Green? Is it Kuzma? Who, you know, who wasn't playing that night? Is it, is it Bradley? Who on this roster could serve as that X factor player um, come playoff time? And I was, that's why I asked the question. I don't know if that guy's on the roster already or if he's, if he's still out there or if he's on the roster and he's just not showing it right now. Yeah, um, I think it's that last thing, and I think it's Kuzma. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you look at the entire roster, and frankly, just th- there's not a lot of youth, um, and a lot of guys just are who they are. And the one exception might be Kyle Kuzma. And he's, he's 25, and he's pretty athletic and, and a really versatile scorer. And last year, I mean, was averaging 18, 19 points a game. And this year, his role has been greatly reduced because of what their plan is for the regular season, which is, all right, AD, we're going to start you along alongside JaVale and Dwight Howard and and play real big and and hopefully save you for the playoffs a little bit. Um, And I think what that does is just slide Kuzma to a bench role where he's just not terribly comfortable and he's after two years of kind of getting free reign, he has to figure out how to fit within a bunch of very rigid role players um, and, and kind of find his responsibility. But in the playoffs, there's a very good chance that we see a lot more of AD playing center 
and Kyle Kuzma starting at power forward. And I like that might be the Lakers' best lineup with AD, Kuzma, LeBron, uh, Danny Green, and Avery Bradley. And it's a defensive lineup. It's a scoring lineup. It's, it's um, you know, a lineup that can stretch out to the perimeter at all positions. Um, and I think Kuzma, by the time we reach April, uh, May, June, is going to have to be that guy who elevates his game to, to bring the Lakers to that next level you're talking about. Yeah, that's a great point. You uh, Listen, um, I've been covering this league for a long time. And I, and I know what Christmas usually means for a team, whether you're built for the regular season, whether you're getting ready to play deep into the playoffs, whether you're going to play all the way into June. I hate to break it to you, my friend. This is not even close to a, a rest point for you in, in your season. You're getting ready to work deep no, it's into not. the summer. <laughs> so, so happy holidays and Merry Christmas, but don't get excited. you got a long – year ahead of you, my friend. It's going to be a long NBA season in L.A. No kidding, but, uh, you know, if, hey, if we, we wouldn't do it if we didn't like it. You know what I mean? Got that right. Thanks, Kyle. We appreciate you, man. All right. Have a good one. All right. Take care. That's Kyle Goon of the Southern California News Group talking Lakers and, and everything going on with him. But now let's get another perspective on that, that very topic from Tanya Ganguly of the Los Angeles Times. Happy to be joined now by Tanya Ganguly of the Los Angeles Times, Lakers beat writer, and the person probably most persecuted by the Lakers being back on on this level of scrutiny. Um, Tanya, Merry Christmas in advance, and and I know you're working on Christmas Day like everybody else in L.A. Um, What what do you make of where we are right now in in what should be a season-long kind of saga between the Lakers and the Clippers with this game on Christmas Day? Um, It's coming at an interesting time for the Lakers because of the injuries they have right now. Um, We don't know if LeBron's going to be playing in that game, Um, you know, and and it's probably bringing back some bad memories for him because he obviously got hurt on Christmas last year. Um, And, you know, Anthony Davis is a little bit banged up. He's been playing through a lot of different things this season, but so – you know, I'm. It's. It, I sort of looked at this game as a benchmark game. You know, I think everybody did when you looked at the season, um, especially with the Lakers losing to the Clippers on opening night. I think, I think everyone expected this to be, this to really tell you where these teams are and how they've developed together. And I don't know if we're going to find that out truly if you know if LeBron's not playing. Yeah, the the, the Lakers are. They're, they're better than what I thought they'd be, honestly, at this point. And I don't mean just in record. I mean in terms of how they operate and how they function as a group. Um, you had a very interesting story um, in the LA Times about Frank Vogel and how he kind of fosters that environment. Um, talk a little bit, if you would, about what you learned about Vogel and how he likes to have his ecosystem uh, functioning around his team and why it's working for the Lakers. Yeah, I mean, I, I really have felt for several weeks now that Vogel really has sort of found a good groove for himself with this team. I think everyone was concerned. I mean, I quoted one of his old friends who he used to coach with saying, I was worried for Frank when he got that job because the Lakers had just had a head coach that was a first-time head coach and barely had any experience as a coach at all, and uh, they wanted to go in a completely different direction. So they wanted a staff full of guys that were – full of experience and former head coaches specifically. That's specifically what they had wanted. So they put Jason Kidd on the staff. They put Lionel Hollins on the staff. Um, I mean, these are people that Frank signed off on, obviously, but Kidd Kidd had interviewed for the job before they hired Frank, um, and Hollins is on their list too. So I think that what's made – I think that what's made Frank able to to really – uh, excel with this group is that he is not the kind of guy who won't take other people's opinions into consideration. And that's really important when you have all these guys that that have experience and that have their own thoughts on how things should be done. Um, you know, what, one other thing that's helped is that the guys that he's hired have really have been very conscious of the fact that they are his assistants and 
appreciated that he wants their opinion on things, but ultimately respect that it's his final decision. So that spirit of collaboration, it helps not just with the coaching staff, but also with the players because, you know, he has a guy in LeBron James who is going to want a lot of say in how things go and has earned having a lot of say in how things go. And he's getting that. I mean, Vogel talks to him, talks to Anthony Davis, Rondo, Danny Green, like all these veterans that they have. He talks to them and finds out what they want. Um, but the other thing that he does is he is very transparent with them. And that that I was something that I heard from every guy that Frank Vogel has coached. I talked to some guys from Indiana, you know, and, and they really believed that it's this respect thing. You know, if, if he's going to bench you, he will come and talk to you about it. If he's, if you're only going to get five minutes in the game, he's going to let you know why. And that's something that, you know, Troy Daniels at the Lakers, he doesn't get that much playing time, but he said, you know, even if you're not getting that much playing time, if the coach comes up to you and talks to you about it and lets you know what, lets you know why, it makes you feel like part of the team. And so far, that that's really kept everybody from, you know, there's so little drama on the team right now, and we'll see how that goes if they keep losing now. But that's been a big part of, um, of why Frank's demeanor and the way that Frank interacts with them. Yeah, this the, the Lakers are one of those teams, too, where we kind of, when, they, when everything's harmonious, we're all kind of sitting back waiting for something to happen, you know, like some, some shoe to drop. Um, they don't look like they're that kind of team right now this year. Um, what's been the most surprising aspect of, for this group for you? Like uh, Dwight has been stunning, just how effective he's played, um, how accepting he's been of his role. But is there something else just about them and the way they've operated into December here that surprised you? Um, I, I think that, I mean, Dwight's a big one for sure. I think there were a lot of people uh, saying, that, I mean, you know, there, there was Dwight on one hand saying that he was going to be a, he, you know, he had, he reached rock bottom over the summer personally. Um, he never really specified exactly what that meant, but he, he talked about how he's coming into a different perspective. He's had a different perspective for a few years, but if you talk to people who have been around Dwight for the last few years, they'll say, well, we've heard this before. So I think there was some some uncertainty about what that would be like, um, and he's really accepted his role. He, he sort of, that all the stuff that he used to do that annoyed people, the, the goofing off and the having fun, all that kind of stuff, that's still there with Dwight, but now he's in a position where he doesn't have to be the guy. And so he's kind of like a guy, I mean, he's a guy that the team, his teammates will say to him, you know, we need the crowd to get going. Dwight, help us get the crowd into this. And like, you know, like, like he plays that role really well, but I mean, and that's not even talking about his role on the court, which has really fit him. Um, he and JaVale McGee have really given the Lakers the ability to, to do some things that I don't know if we knew they would they would have had um, heading into the season. And it's been really important, especially with the injuries that they've had um, at forward. Yeah, this it is a, a, a unique dynamic, I think, in terms of the how many veterans they have on this roster and how much they've done. I mean, you think about LeBron, Dwight, Rondo, Danny Green. We're talking about guys who have played a ton, Jared, you know, even Jared Dudley, who have played a ton of, high-pressure basketball in their careers, to have them, you know, and I include Avery Bradley in that group as well. AD, maybe not as much playoff high-pressure basketball, but certainly enough nights where he's been the guy of guys on his team, so he's felt that pressure. Do you think there's a a learning curve for maybe a guy like Kuzma and some of those other guys who aren't quite as experienced that they have to surf in order for this team to reach its zenith and in order for them to be at their best when they need to be in the playoffs? Yeah, Kuzma, I think, is is trying to figure things out. Um, he's he's not really – the role that he has right now isn't really what he probably expected going in because he ex- probably expected a much bigger role. And I think the way that the way that JaVale and Dwight have been playing has made it less important for the Lakers to have to uh, – to, to, to be dependent on Kuzma, but the other thing is he's also been hurt, and I think that's been a huge part of it. He's had two injuries already that have kept him out of games, and um, there's always, as you know, there's always the process of what, even once you're healthy, then you have to figure out how to get back into things, and then 
you know, um, that that's a whole other process. So I think that that's definitely affecting Kuzma, and I think that he's he's um, he's de- he is trying to figure out who he is within the confines of this extremely veteran team because they, I mean, yeah, you talk about so many guys who have won championships, been in championship environments. Uh, defensively, there's seven, I think there's seven guys on this team who have been on an all defense team, which is pretty crazy, um, at some point or another in their lives. So they've done a lot of things that Kuzma is just, just, just at different points in their career than, than Kyle Kuzma, who's all of a sudden now like the young guy on the team. Right, right. Um, for years I've heard people talk about this, man, what if, if the Clippers ever just did this? Maybe they would challenge the Lakers for, you know, people's attentions in L.A. I, I, first time I went to L.A., I was 12. I had cousins that live all over Southern California. And there's one thing that I've never bought into is this idea that the Clippers have some chance of, of usurping the Lakers for people's attention yeah. and affections out there. I, I know the Clippers are stacked. I know they're good. I know a lot of people think they're the best team in L.A. They think they're the team that's going to ultimately win a championship. I don't care. I still don't see them <laughs> taking over the spotlight from the Lakers. I'm serious. And this is like 40 years now. I just don't see it. Yeah. that. I mean, the Clippers have been the best team in L.A. at other points also, <laughs> and it didn't matter. I mean, that was the thing. When I moved to I, – I mean, I grew up in L.A., but I didn't go to a lot mm-hmm. of Lakers games growing up. When I started covering this team, they were bad. They had just come off the worst season in franchise history. They were not a good team. They were not expected to be good anytime soon. And their games were always sold out. I I mean, those were the best crowds that I saw all year in some cases. Like, you you go around the country, and, like, you know this, you go around the country, and there's so many cities where the NBA team doesn't draw, like, the football team. Or, you know, like, there's on a Tuesday night, like, who's coming out to see – I don't know. I, I hate to mention a team and slander a fan base like just this casually, but you know, there's so many cities like that, and I, I just LA was never has not been like that the whole time I've covered the team, and there have been some really bleak days. You know, there have been some really bleak moments that I've seen, and you still see Laker fans, and so I think that's the Clippers' biggest problem. It's like. Laker fans are, there are a lot of them. And I mean, that is the other thing too. Like even when they were losing, they had a waiting list for season tickets. So they knew that they knew that they didn't have to worry about selling season tickets. So they, there was less of a pressure to to change things from a public relations perspective because the organization just business wise was just so strong. Um, So that the Clippers have a lot to contend with. I think even if they, even if they won a championship, I think it'd still be pretty tough for them to, I mean, it, it would start to get a little more even, but I think it'd still be pretty tough for them to, to overtake the Lakers in, in just fan support in LA. Yeah. This, the, the one thing too, that has struck me about this season for the Lakers, um, how quickly Rob Palenka, um, Jeannie Buss, their names receded from the headlines so quickly once things got started, you know, so much attention was focused on them in the off season yeah. and, and the fallout from last season. I'm assuming they, they like working this way a lot better where they don't have to worry about being the center of attention and you can just let the product on the floor and, and the, the players and the coaches handle the day-to-day headlines that are associated with the Los Angeles Lakers. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Jeannie Buss does not like to be the center of attention um, when it comes to people talking about the Lakers, like she would so much rather pe- the, she would so much rather the conversation be about basketball, um, and that's they're they're very. I mean, this is what they counted on. They counted on people are mad right now, but if the team does well, if we can put together the right kind of team, um, then everything will be fine. And it was funny because I, I don't know if you read uh, we our Bill Plaschke talked to Magic Johnson last week, and Magic yes. was kind of saying. He was saying, you know, this is the team that I envisioned. This is, this, I see my stamp all over this team. And I think like six months ago, I didn't, six months ago on Twitter, nobody was saying anything remotely positive about Rob Polinka. But last week, when Magic Johnson said that this is the team that he envisioned, there were so many people replying to that 
story saying, no, this is Rob, Rob did this and giving him the credit for it. So it was just interesting to me how that shifted so dramatically in such a short period of time. I am, I'm, I'm actually glad it did, to be honest with you. I had kind of grown tired, which I know that's, you know, music to, to the ears of someone who's had to listen to the song over and over again. But I, I got really tired of the Laker front office drama narrative that was building uh-huh. all offseason. It just, there was no end to it. You know, the only thing we could rely on to put it to bed is is exactly what this Lakers team has done now. Um, do, you, do you think that the the construction of this team as it looks right now, is this what the Lakers need to ride out this season? Or is there something else on the horizon you think that could be a part of their future this season? Uh, I, I think that they they will be and should be looking at making some changes um, through trades. Um, I don't, I, uh, I think that there are some, some holes that they can address. Um, their, they, their perimeter defense has been a little suspicious at times. That's something that they can look into helping. Um, they need some point guard help. Uh, that's something that they should, they should be. And I think they are going to be sort of looking into figuring out um, what's really clear is that there is, I don't want to say there's too much put on LeBron because he can definitely handle it, but, you know, in situations where they need to keep him out because of an injury or because of, you know, needing to get him rest, which he would never want, but that's something that Vogel definitely looks at uh, because he, you know, that as the coach, that's his job. Um, in those kinds of situations, there's such a huge drop-off for the Lakers, which is what they've seen in the last couple of games, uh, the last game, actually, with that um, LeBron didn't play in that there, I think that that's something that, that the Lakers have to sort of address and be cognizant of because people like to talk about, you know, we, we talked a lot about the Toronto Raptors in the lead up to this season because they were a team that came together really late and were good enough to win a championship. Um, but the Toronto Raptors, you know, they, they went through a season, saw their deficiencies and fixed them you know, coming into in the later part of the season. So that's something the Lakers will probably have to have to do. Interesting. It's going to be a, a long season for you. Um, so I appreciate you taking some time early on here. Uh, happy holidays. And we'll keep reading. Um, we know you'll be there in, on the LA Times, you know, as always, uh, doing great stuff. And we appreciate you uh you know, digging in and doing the hard work and then taking a few minutes to, to talk to us about it. No problem. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you, Tony. From the West Coast to the Midwest, we shift over now to hear from Steve Ashburn of NBA.com. He's He's got the flip side of what we're talking about. Lakers are the power out West, along with the Clippers. And now we shift to the Eastern Conference and the Milwaukee Bucks, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and everything they got going on right now. It's always good to catch up with Steve Ashburner. Um, Ash, Merry Christmas to you, my friend. And this is a this is a working holiday for a lot of people. This is this is a different time um, in terms of the attention that's focused on the Milwaukee Bucks. This is I can't remember the last time they were a center of attention like this, um, playing as well as they have been, and then being showcased on Christmas Day like this. Well, that's right. Um, now the big guy told me. Um when I was there for the um, uh, the game against Indiana over the weekend, that uh, they had um, they participated last year as well. I didn't go back and check the schedule, but you know there was a lot of talk in that post game locker room about the um, even up to the word honor, the honor of mm-hmm. being um, included in the in the in the Christmas Day schedule. Um, it's probably a tougher sell. When you're telling your wife and, and the kids or the in-laws <laughs> or whatever that, oh, yeah, by the way, we're going to be in Philadelphia instead of uh, home home in Milwaukee for the holiday. That's one thing that did come up a little bit is some, some of the Bucks people wondering, how come we're not the home team? But, you know, right. that, you know that, that's one thing. But, you know, yeah, it is um, – it, it has long been a tradition, and, and there, is a, there is an honor to it. There's a, a status to uh, playing on Christmas Day, it's it's a, an acceptance, and it's that sense, it's that Monday Night Football thing where you you have a feeling that at least for a few of the games, I don't know any, anybody who really sits through all five, but for a few of those games, you've got pretty much the whole league watching in addition to the fan base. 
No question. Um, this this Bucks team, Ash. I I'll be honest with you. I'm surprised that they've shown the kind of energy it takes, and you know this as well as anyone. It you got to be a dialed in bunch to to play as well as they did throughout the course of the regular season last year, and to not take any steps back when you show up for the next season and and crank it up as as much and as well as they have through this space of the season. They've, they've had statement games and, and really asserted themselves in each and every one of them this year. Well, it's true. And, you know, to me, it's just about the, the hardest way to go through an NBA season. Uh, you know, the Bucks are facing this this year. Houston has faced it for a couple of years. Toronto faced it up through last year where it doesn't really matter what you do through those first 82. Your success or failure is going to be determined by what you do in the springtime. And so then in the meantime, you have to do well. You have to show enough and, and stay healthy enough to be prepared to, to accomplish your mission uh, at the very end of the year. But it's a, it's a tough way to sort of slog through 82 games particularly. And, and uh, they, have, they have managed to stay locked in. Um, remember last season where their, their mission was to not lose two games in a row. And they did it except for one occurrence, I think, finally in March during the regular season they did that. Um, of course, at the end of the uh, playoffs, they lost four in a row. But um, <laughs> now it seems like their mission is to not lose one in a row. And and they've done pretty well with that as well. So I, it's a it's a pro- professional bunch. They've got some youth on the team, but they also have some, some seasoned veterans and, um, you know, depending on what happens in the spring, I mean, either they will – go one one step beyond or um you know they'll get knocked as uh, regular season dandies and uh they can't they can't sort of complete the job so you know that that hangs out there for them but i don't think that they're they're focused on that they've been very diligent about um you know the cliche we hate is as media people one game at a time but but they put it into practice yeah they have they've They've been a, a a fun team to watch too, Ash, the way they play. Um, everybody wants to know, well, you know, about Giannis and how's Giannis doing this? And and what's Giannis's, you know, focus now at this point in the season? He's an MVP and he's kind of elevated to a different level. I'm more curious about Mike Budenholzer, believe it or not. I'm I'm wondering what wrinkles he has uh incorporated into his program and what he's gonna do different when they when they face those defining moments come playoff time. Do you think Bud has has continued to evolve as a coach? Is he introspective enough to look at what he does and, and how that has to change and adjust come playoff time? Or is he rigid? You know, some coaches, you look at Mike D'Antoni, he's, he's coaching the same way he always has and refuses to really relent in his philosophy. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, Budenholzer came under some criticism in the spring. Um, you know, from people we both know that are, you know, pretty learned in this game in terms of uh, how he handled, uh, you know, the the Toronto's, um, the Toronto approach uh, in terms of defending Giannis and neutralizing him to a degree and taking away other options. And when you, when you have a 2-0 lead in a series and then all of a sudden you lose four straight, you don't even get it to that, that desirable game seven that you worked so hard all year to, uh, to earn. Um, you know, people start to wonder, well, wait a minute. I mean, is, is, is Milwaukee capable of adjusting? Is Budenholzer, um, too locked in to one style? And I think that that's been sort of the question now, even this, you know, with the incredible start that they've had, um, they're vulnerable on any given night if the other team is, is, is confident in their three point shooting and successful. And you say, well, yeah, every team in the league is, is vulnerable then, but, Milwaukee is, uh, they, they almost dare you. Defensively, they almost dare you to take and make three-point shots. And if, you know, if teams get on a roll with that, yeah, that game can get out of hand. I think that, that, uh, the Dallas game got out of hand when they, when they had their winning streak stopped by, you know, the Mavericks without, uh, Luka Doncic. And, and so it, it's, um, it's something that I'd like to see them be able to flip a switch when they need to. And they can do it to a little bit of a degree with, Brooke Lopez, who's, you know, he likes to, to let it fly from 29, 30 feet, but he does have the resolve. If he's missed a few, 
he gets angry and he will pound the ball inside. And I just think that they need to have that sort of flexibility more often. And uh, it doesn't it doesn't mean they're undercutting their their overall approach and and that they don't believe in their ability to outshoot the other team from the perimeter. But you know it's nice you, you work your way to the foul line or you get some layups, and that's how you sort of grind out of a uh, shooting slump. I look at the East, Ash, and going into the season, I think we all had our minds made up about who would be that pod of teams that would be considered not just contenders to come out of the East, but to actually win it if they did. Um, yeah. I was I was more confident before we started that there were maybe three teams. As we've gotten into the season, I, I'm less confident about that number. I think the Bucks look like a championship team to me. I'm not sure about Boston or Philly. Um, Miami has made me rethink what I thought of them. And Toronto has certainly showed enough that, that I think they could be more of a factor than I originally imagined. How many teams in the East do you have on your short list of teams, not only to come out, that not only could get to the Eastern Conference Finals and, and, and win it and represent the East, but also go all the way and actually win a championship? Well, a lot of that comes down to matchups, and, and I probably haven't really uh, thought that through to the extent of who's going to be the West team. Is it going to be uh, the Lakers, uh, you know, which would probably be considered the favorite at this point? Will the Clippers be able to resolve some of their issues and, and, and gain the continuity that they, they still lack? Um, is Houston, they have it in them. I don't, I don't think so. Um, but, I, yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty much with you in terms of who we might see in the Eastern Conference Finals, and I could I could nominate any of those five teams mm-hmm. um, to be you know to be that far. Not it's, it's kind of hard for me to imagine this Miami Heat team being in the NBA Finals and winning a championship. <laughs> they just don't seem to have you know that that sort of uh, star power and 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 experience and everything else, but. I do admit I didn't even see them being a, a top seed, a top four seed um, when this thing began. And I think they're in good shape to uh, to lock down one of those spots. So, um, yeah, you know, I still think I still think the Bucks in Philadelphia, um, just based on, on the talent, um, to me, they loom as, as favorites. Toronto, to me, it seems like, you know, you hear tales about soldiers come back from war and, they're missing a limb, and there's that phantom limb. They could swear that that leg is still there, and and to me, that's what the Raptors are. They could swear that Kawhi is still there <laughs> by the success that they've had, and um, you know, good for them. I mean, it, it's almost like nobody has pinched them, and 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 you know, let let the air out of their balloon, and they learned to play when he sat down a lot last year. So it's sort of like he's got a long season of load management for the for the Raptors. Um, and then in terms of Boston, boy, you, you know, it's it's a very interesting tale in terms of the way they played um, when Kyrie was hurt, you know, a couple of years ago, and, and then how they played with Kyrie and some of the issues in, the, in that locker room last season, and now how they all sort of, they seem to be performing as if they're liberated from, you know, a dark cloud of Kyrie. So um, that's that's a real sort of statement on, uh, modern NBA and star power on your roster and things like that too. So I think they have depth. I think they've got a great um, camaraderie and, and, and spirit now. And um, I could see Boston rising up maybe, uh, you know, more so than, than the Heat, for instance. Hmm. Interesting. I, I, one last thing here, Ash, and, and like I said, we appreciate you taking time around the holidays here. There's, there's obviously this proposal of – um, uh, the season, you know, is out there, so we're not, you know, letting any secrets out. But that the season would be reduced to seventy-eight games. There would be an in-season tournament. All this, this radical kind of thought about how to alter, energize, whatever you want to call it, the NBA regular season. I'm, I could be feeling my my age and my my years here a little bit by being pushing back and saying. Wow. Why do we need to change something that works? But what what's your opinion just of, of where we are in terms of trying to uh, inject some different energy into an NBA season by, by going that radical? Yeah, well, I, I believe I got a few years on you, Seiko. And so <laughs> I'm going to be in that same uh, 
pushback position for the most part. Um, I, let, let me say, let me say on the record, I like the idea of a play-in for say the eighth and ninth teams if they were, um, you know, if there wasn't a huge gap in terms of what they did over the course of the regular season. I mean, if there's if there's six victories difference, I mean, that doesn't seem quite right to let that ninth team um, in a matter of a game or two just sort of you know flip the script, but. Generally, the, you know, that excitement, I've come to like the, the one game playing in baseball. And, um, when Denver played Minnesota two years ago in game 82, you know, that was pretty compelling stuff. Which team's going to get in? But if, if the records are already, um, separate enough, eh, I don't know. And then you can't really make a contingent on that because there's a lot of planning that goes into it. Now, the end season tournament, I don't get it. I look, we've all been talking about oh, the season's too long and the workload's too great and the and the turnaround time isn't enough between these games. And you know, people hear that stuff and I, I think it becomes sort of a a self defined kind of an issue. But if 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 the NBA wants to put on its big boy pants and whack, you know, fifteen to twenty games off the schedule, then I think you might have something there. And I, and my own pet theory is that it doesn't mean 15 to 20 games of revenue lost because the network slots would all be filled just like they are now. You'd have the Wednesday games and the Thursday games and the Friday and Saturday, Sunday games. And those would all be, you know, major network games, presumably of a higher quality product because guys would be more rested and you wouldn't have load management, you know, intervening and in, in, in who you're not going to see. Um, the overall season would be a higher quality product, I think, for fans that are actually paying to be in arena. And, and you know, they wouldn't have to worry about being burned as much when a healthy guy is sitting there in a suit. Um, but there would be some loss of revenue, maybe, again, not a dollar for dollar, but some percentage. You know what, if you, if you want to work less, you, you have to accept something like that. I think, I think you know, we all face that same sort of thing. If you want... If you want to double your vacation, you might, you know, take a take a ding into your into your annual salary or whatever it is. So I I I would like to see that rather than constantly keep hearing forever, you know, about oh we just have to lighten the schedule and today's players can't do X Y and Z. Um, the interesting tournament. Look, I've never been a soccer fan. I really don't pay attention to that stuff. <laughs> I think it, it's it's a risky thing to pursue. If it cheapens your your you know bread and butter of the playoffs, if you're going to try to sell some tournament title as on any sort of par with the Larry O'Brien Trophy, and if it's not, then then you know how much attention will actually get paid to it. Um, I went I went to business school, and one of the things you learn there is the old eighty twenty rule where. You do 80, 80% of your business with 20% of your customers. And, you know, the other, uh, the other 80% of your customers are good for about 20% of your business. <laughs> if you start to mess up, if you're a brewery and you start worrying about making wine coolers and changing it up because you're trying to capture that last potential customer, you might lose your core beer drinkers. And I, I just think that the NBA has got to think long and hard before they go chasing, um, you know, some mid-season number and mess with what they put out there, you know, in terms of the meat and potatoes. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical of it if you, if you haven't already come to that conclusion. <laughs> no, it's, you put it in much, much better uh, context than I could have. I didn't go to business school, but uh, I, I do, I do agree. And, and I think it's very dangerous when we assume that, you know, I, I heard the million dollar per player, you know, prize floated as as if there's yeah. some incentive for it. May be for the 13th, 14th, 15th guy on the roster, but I, I could imagine right. things going t- t- terribly sideways for max players who you're trying to entice with a million dollar bonus for playing in in a tournament that, like you said, outside of that that prize, it doesn't measure up to the to the real trophy in tournament they're trying to win, which comes in the summer. So it's a it's a risky dilemma, I think, to, that that the NBA is diving into when trying to decide how much change is good change to something that has been so good to them. Right. Well, and the other thing, I, I have my antenna up, and, and this is just because, again, I'm old school, but I look at these things and I think, 
Is this meant to dovetail nicely with potential legal sports betting? Is this something they think will generate more interest among the gambling uh, crowd and, you know, an in-season tournament or something? Is, is that something that will, you know, because I, I just, I know that the sports are all headed that way. Uh, for decades, they have uh, avoided um, embracing wagering and, and with what we were sold as are pretty good reasons. And now all of a sudden, you know, instead of having that moat between betting and their games, um, they're letting down the drawbridges. And I just wonder what's going to come across and not all of it is foreseen. And um, so I'm, I got my antenna up when they talk about format changes and, you know, is it really just meant to appeal to a select crowd of, uh, of fans? And, and that would be the, the gamblers. So, you know, that's part of it, uh, too, for me. No question. Good point, Ash. And uh, like I said, we'll probably have to revisit that topic somewhere down the road, I would imagine. It'll be interesting to see what the debate looks like when it actually gets, you know, to cutting time, you know, decision-making time. So, listen, appreciate it. Enjoy the holidays up there with the fam. And uh, and we'll see you pretty soon here, coming up in February for sure at All-Star Weekend in Chicago. Yeah, you're all going to descend on my turf, and I know everybody will be uh, really happy in their uh, <laughs> uh, in their, their down jackets and scarves, and you know, really, really enjoying the uh, the climate in February here in the Chicago area. No so, doubt, I'm I'm coming um, along, John. Ready, Ash? I'll be ready. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Call anytime. We can enjoy talking with you guys. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. See you, Sego. All right. As always, we appreciate the insights from all of our guests. Tanya Ganguly of the Los Angeles Times, Kyle Goon of the Southern California News Group, and our very own Steve Ashburner from NBA.com. Uh, Merry Christmas and, and happy holidays to you and yours. Uh, beautiful things for you all, we're hoping, in the new year. Uh, and we'll see you right here next time on the Hangtime Podcast. Thanks for listening to Seku Smith's Hangtime Podcast. Be sure to check out previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, NBA.com backslash hangtime, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, Hoops fans. <laughs>